0: To get started, visit plushcare.com weightloss. That's plushcare.com weightloss. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche; they cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit ViralGrowth.io and use code AdWeek—that's A D W E E K, all lowercase—and get ten percent off your plan.
1: I'm Rachel Tipcraft, the founder and CEO of MickMac. I'm Sarah
2: Hofstetter, president of Profitero. Welcome, Welcome to, to our, our podcast, podcast, Brave, Brave Commerce. Commerce.
1: Sarah, let's try this retail nerdy game that you've just come up with PDP. MAP. AMG. ARA. CTA. WMG. CPM. CPE. Uh, FMV. FPC. ACV. UPC. Okay. Wow. Like we could actually go on forever. Retail acronyms. Yeah.
2: Joining this industry has its share of barriers. And one of them is just the alphabet soup of, oh, crap. Crap is one of the best ones. (laughs) I knew you one day would stumble into that. I do stumble into crap very frequently, but that's a whole different story.
1: But it's funny, you know, when we were talking with Sarabi from J&J, she brought up an acronym that I had never heard of. I don't think you've ever heard of. No, but I love it. Sarabi, which we'll get into later in the show, has an acronym called SUMO. Sarah, what does that stand for?
2: Straight up missing out. And I got to tell you, I, I think it just takes FOMO to a whole new level. And for those who are listening to the podcast, you clearly aren't in the state of SUMO, but maybe you know somebody who is. And so it'd be a great opportunity for you to introduce them to Brave Commerce and try to get more people to understand the urgency associated with
1: getting this stuff right. Yeah, I mean, especially when you're in a category that's shrinking, you can't straight up miss out. You got to start doing things. Uh, at, the, at the rate I've been
2: buying Neutrogena, I don't think we're straight up missing out on J&J, but
1: uh, Neutrogena is doing perfectly well and shout out to our clients there.
2: Without further ado, why don't we bring Sarabi on to the show and tell us all about it.
1: I'm super excited for today because this person has become one of my new best friends during COVID, and that's Sarabi Pokiral, who's the Global Director of E-Commerce Acceleration at Johnson & Johnson. Sarabi, thanks for joining us.
3: Hi, Rachel. Hi, Sarabi. I'm excited.
1: I never asked you this question, but I always have found your title pretty unique compared to other executives because your job title sounds like a mission statement, E-Commerce Acceleration. Did you come up with that? Did the C-suite come up with that? Like, how did this job come to be?
3: I think part of the purpose of the title is solved by you taking notice of that. And if it seems like a mission statement, I would say, yes, it is in my perspective, right? So global e-commerce acceleration, in my view, means things we need to do now and then the next three months, six months, one year to deliver e-commerce objectives. There could be a variety of options while we consider this, right? There is that concept, you know, of FOMO, fear of missing out. I think there's also a concept of sumo, straight up missing out, right? So I think it's my job to make sure our brands are not straight up missing out. And they make sure what they need to do now and what they need to do to be future ready and get started on the e-commerce engine. I'll also say there were a variety of options to say, we can be global center of excellence. We can be capabilities and innovation, the strategic you know, center of, of innovation and all the good stuff, which is all valid. But I personally felt that there has to be a verb or an action rooted to certain roles like this, which are evangelist kind of rules. So I think acceleration brings that verb or actionability to my title. I got
2: to tell you that podcasts generally seem to have like a theme and sometimes it's like at the end of the podcast where we're like, oh, he or she said something really awesome. But I feel like we just hit our memory sticker, the, the sumo. I feel like there are so many brands that are in that space right now that are straight up missing out. And they're so focused on these long-term plans that they don't see like what's right in front of them. One of the things I find so fascinating is that the e-commerce behavior from a consumer perspective has accelerated so much. And yet we as executives don't actually think through the fact that oh yeah we're the ones who are shopping too and so if we're looking for something on our phones and we can't find it then those brands are straight up missing out and it's just it, it's so natural to our current behaviors and yet so many are busy thinking about the future and not acting on the immediate. Rachel it's like what you say about the hands-on keyboard
1: element. A hundred percent. So Does that mean your role sits under corporate strategy? Does it sit under sales? Does it sit under the CMO? Like where does this mission exist within the organization?
3: So I sit in the office of marketing value. You can consider it within the marketing realm, but e-commerce is such an interesting area in a matrix organization. I think in typical corporations, it can be in marketing, it can be in sales, it can be strategy office, and it can be all of these. Each of these elements impact the other. In, in a domino's effect kind of way, right? You can't be generating sales and looking at only top line without taking care of the outcome influencers that is marketing. There's so much focus, like customer development might think Instacart is the bright, new, shiny thing today, right? I want to go and partner with Instacart. Marketing might think Instagram is the bright, new, shiny thing today. And I want to do that and TikTok and Snapchat and all of that. But so many of these things can go together, right? You can enable your marketing engine to focus on getting Instacart sales because that's where the consumer is today. So I think it goes hand in glove. In a lot of corporations, it's a revolving door where e-commerce sits. uh, But it's a matter of time where we find out where it actually should sit. But I think it's okay to sit everywhere because everybody's e-com IQ needs to be elevated. I'm guessing that a
2: big part of your job is around upskilling and making that IQ and probably EQ equally importantly, strong enough. How, how do you go about even getting a company that you know? Whether whether that's your company or just in general, these big companies are struggling with this. It's sometimes it's not about where it sits for, from a reporting structure, but how you influence the matrix. Like a, any ideas or
3: tips that you can share with our audience. I've been in this sector, I want to say about fifteen years. Right, started my career with Procter and Gamble pivoted to advisory for over a decade with Coty, A1, Estee Lauder, PepsiCo, and then with Johnson & Johnson for the last three odd years, right? I I think there's a pattern to all of these Fortune 100 companies in terms of upskilling and education. Like you said, is e-commerce the air we breathe? Not yet. But I think the day it becomes that, I'll give you the analogy I heard somewhere recently. You'd never have a chief electricity officer in a factory. And there's a reason you don't, because electricity is in the being of what runs a factory. But e-commerce today needs a lot of tender love and care. Till it becomes the electricity of just doing business. And that's where you elevate the e-commerce IQ, both the awareness and the talent-wise and the EQ and the capability of readiness. That's where the intra-functional, intra-corporate, the leadership team, plus the ninjas who are joining fresh from business school, they combine electricity all, all, all of those things. That makes e-commerce the air we breathe eventually. From an actual
1: training perspective, like what has worked, what hasn't worked? when it comes to educating these matrix orgs on e-commerce acceleration?
3: So there are two aspects on training, right? There are some low-lying fruits, like we call money just lying on the table waiting to be picked up, right? That can give you the 10% kind of ROI. There are also training opportunities that will give you the 10x kind of exponential ROI. Now, there is a natural reactance built in large systems where anything new, anything challenging the status quo is not very easily adopted, right? Because we have done this. There is a lot of weight and inertia and momentum. We have done this five, five years. It worked for me. It worked for 10 years behind that. And I'm good. Don't tell me new things. Don't move my cheese. I'm good with that. So that is a big aspect, I believe, in large corporations. And I think for people like us who are very alpha, very driven, I see it. There's a shortest path. I see A to B and you can go there in six months. Why would you not go already? You can get frustrated as leaders and not being able to take people there quickly. But I think there is merit in understanding you may not go through the shortest path. You might take a circuitous route, but eventually you make people believers, right? You make them believe that the earth is not flat and the earth is round, but it takes times and it takes tenacity to be able to do that. I'd also say in terms of education, there are said needs and unsaid needs. People will tell you, I have an explicit need. Tell me about digital shelf. Tell me about good content. Tell me about good creative. But there are unsaid needs. They don't know what they're asking for. Steve Jobs used to say fantastically, the customer doesn't know what she wants till you give it to her. Mm -hmm. And that's our role, right? You give it to her, you delight her, and then there's the aha moment. And that's where I think another aspect of training comes in.
1: You know, we're halfway through 2020. What's something that the customer doesn't know that she needs when it comes to e-commerce?
3: Convenience has been a pattern that she has needed forever. We we can't change that enough, right? We can't uh, underline that enough. The way you see Uber Eats going in and Postmates going in and Instacart accelerating like really out of the blue, that's an underlying pattern and that's not changing really soon. I will say what she doesn't need yet and what is still buzzy in my perspective is things like voice commerce and you know those aspects which are evolving i think our next generation the teens today are doing more on conversation on siri and you know having more conversational dialogue but is it still more about the weather and you know calendaring and music and stuff like that not yet commerce but having said that i think there is merit in doing both right what she wants explicitly and try, fail fast, maybe attempt it and see if if she really wants it. You have to throw things on the wall to see if it sticks sometimes and there's nothing wrong in doing that, right? As long as you scale if needed quickly and scrap if needed quickly, just don't get stuck with the idea and be married to it.
2: Yeah. How do you balance that, the now versus the new versus the next? Like even in your own pie chart of your brain space, how do you make room to think about what she's asked for, what she hasn't asked for, what she could be asking
3: for? I think one thing in terms of our talent having a very high degree of intellectual curiosity, that has to be a given because the next and the futuristic vision cannot be achieved without knowing that right are you truly intellectually or you know curious as an organization as a small ninja group who wants to know what's happening in the industry and the industry doesn't have to be your peer industry it can be adjacent industry in the hotel sector right what airbnb and starwood is doing versus what cpg is doing what the restaurant industry is doing what domino's is doing uh, what chipotle is doing and then find out what are the parallels that would apply to your demographic and The said, I think the meat and potatoes have to be delivered anyways. I think it's easier that you can define key performance metrics on the said aspect, right? The the pie chart on what I know I need to deliver. But I have to make sure that you want to continually optimize on it, right? You never say, I have arrived. Thank you. My meat and potatoes is delivered. And this is it. This is the best you get on the digital shelf because this is it. As long as you keep saying there is no ETA, there is no estimated time of arrival, This will keep going up. The bar keeps rising. I think you're fine if having your pie chart of now being bigger. But if your pie chart of now keeps getting bigger and stagnant, that's a problem. But your next and future off will have to be coming from being externally aware and very rooted in what the consumer wants and listening to her.
2: Let me just jump a little bit deeper into that because you talked about learning from other industries. And I think that that's super smart. If we just lift the left and the right, we don't really actually get the real peripheral vision that we need. What are the things that we can learn from, let's just say, Domino's as it relates to last mile delivery? Where do you think this is going to shake out? Like you said, Instacart has become the bright, shiny object, even though it's been around for five, six, seven, eight years. Yeah. But it's jumped because they're solving a problem on that last mile. What can we learn from those other industries to inform where we think things are going?
3: I'm personally very inspired by the Domino's story, because if you search them up, Back in 2015, before last night delivery, Uber Eats became the fancy thing it is today, right? And delivering convenience store products. Domino's called itself the e-commerce company that sells pizza. I don't think there is a lot of appreciation for that kind of maturity in a lot of industries today. What Chipotle is doing today and what a lot of other restaurants are doing, I think Domino's was way ahead. Burger King is starting to be on the same sector. So that, I think, is a very forward-leaning approach. I'll give you the example. They had a campaign campaign back in 2018 or 17, they used to call it paving for pizza. So they would have a crowdsourced way for the consumers to say, oh, my zip code in Princeton has potholes here. And they will go and fix it on, Domino's will fix potholes, you know, to make sure that pizza gets dev- delivered in time. So look at the PR campaign, the social community impact, and of course the pizza impact which is sell, being sold by on you know online e-commerce. So that I think is pretty phenomenal. There's a bunch of companies, you know, who, who do all of this today. Lululemon, a classic example, you know, and Athletic Leisure. Till before the pandemic, 25% of the business was e commerce. After the pandemic, look at the mirror acquisition and they quickly pivoted in-store sales in New York City are really crashing. People are not coming into the Zumba classes and the yoga classes, but their business on e-commerce, uh, why e-commerce is now 60%. So companies that are in a fail fast mode in a quick pivot in terms of last mile delivery, think of PepsiCo, right? They launched a direct to consumer side in a month within the pandemic. I won't say it's the biggest channel for their sales. I don't think it was intended to be, but they were looking to solve the last mile problem on an impulse purchase of chips, which was not happening in stores anymore.
2: That's definitely true. Without an end cap, what do you do? I will say though, I think you're spot on in that. I find that the pizza business, I know it sounds kind of crazy, but the pizza business has often been a bellwether for the future. I remember being in Cannes in 2012 and one of the big winners at the awards was the VIP fridge magnet, which was a Wi-Fi enabled magnet that some tiny pizza store in Dubai had and you press it and it orders you the pizza that is your default
1: pizza. That's your Alexa dash. Yeah. Back in the day. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny, Sarabi and Sarah, a few things that you said in between quitting Gap and building Micmac, I was in Nairobi and I actually was helping a company with an e-commerce project as a consultant What was interesting there about pizza delivery companies is that they were the ones that created addresses because in Nairobi, no one had a house address. So you couldn't deliver a pizza. And so they actually like built essentially addresses in Google Map infrastructure. So I agree with everyone, the importance of pizza delivery companies. But the second thing is when I was at Gap and I was only a small part of this project, the smartest thing that they did was we created an open API to our cart and we partnered with Verizon Hotels, so if you ended up at the Verizon Hotel in Chicago and you're like, "Oh man, I forgot to pack underwear or socks," you could immediately order it on the television there, and then it was delivered within, you know, two hours from a local Gap store within Chicago. So I always thought it was one of the most brilliant things that the company did. If only they really invested in expanding that infrastructure. But agreed, so, Robbie, There's a, probably a lot of people listening right now that either have a similar role at their organization or feel like their organization should have someone leading e-commerce acceleration. What's your advice to an executive, you know, within a large corporation that wants to start this discipline? Did you put together a business plan and bring it to HR? Like, how do you get started to create this discipline?
3: I would say most large organizations today have an ambition to make e-commerce real. There, It is a priority. But between the statement of the prioritization and stating that ambition and between actually doing it there's a lot of slip between the cup and the lip that happens right and that's where I think there are those tenets of establishing capability capacity and motivation to do that right capability is where you want to hire the right talent and education and these SMEs who are truly nimble footed ninjas who strive to do this who have been there done that and who have that fire in their belly right that solves for the capability part then there is capacity, right? Are you designing the organization in a way where these catalysts are able to thrive? They don't stay on an island you know, by themselves and are trying to do a traveling salesman job, trying to convince each department one by the other. So the org structure and design, I think the HR support and the executive support are really crucial because that's where you start underlining your ambition and wanting to show that you want to make it a reality. And finally, motivation, right? As trite as it may sound, What gets measured still gets delivered. So your motivation is your KPIs. Are you defining the success KPIs for this department and adjacent departments in a clear, tangible, measurable way, but also having big, hairy, audacious goals, right? Not just saying, oh, I'm good with 10% increment next year, and we are fine with that, and that's the way industry is going, and that sounds pretty cool because we are at par. Are you truly enabling to stretch the goals and say, forget 10% what does it take to do 10x? What does it take to do exponential? So that I think are a couple of tenets that if executives can start thinking along those lines, speaking along those lines, because if you speak it enough, I think it becomes true. If you speak it enough in the company, more people, you start having believers and followers and the good word spreads.
1: You touched upon a little bit of this, what you consider table stakes. It sounded like digital shelf. And then Maybe what was in the middle was last mile delivery. What do you consider advanced e-commerce? And not irrelevant like voice commerce, but like, we should be doing this right now because we're straight up missing out, but this is an advanced capability. What, what is that?
3: Sure. I'll do a parallel to the asset and wealth management industry or the equity management, right? We as investors, if we have our personal portfolio in 401 or stocks, we are always like we have a Fidelity app or an e-trade or a Robin Hood app, right? These days that we are like, my equity is this much, my stock is this much, my mutual fund, and this is how it moves. I know if I'm a risk-averse investor, I want to put more in bonds because maybe I'm retiring and I I have a low tolerance for risk. Similarly, are we truly optimizing our media mix to see what's the outcome on a day to day basis, like a hedge fund manager would do? I don't think enough companies realize the power in media optimization. And many times it's fill it, shut it, forget it. It's been going like that for five years. I'm fine. My KPIs have not changed. I'm meeting the numbers, I'm exceeding the numbers. What more do you want? But if you start managing it like a hedge fund manager would, start measuring, start tweaking the buckets. Every lever you change will have a different outcome. Some will give you a 10% ROI. Some will give you three. Some will give you a negative three. But do those optimizations, see the results, and keep doing it. That, I think, is a very evolved way of doing media. I have not seen many companies doing it yet.
1: It's funny that you say that uh, because if you look at people who have the title head of growth at a lot of these darling direct consumer brands, their background is like from Goldman. So they wanted to get out of banking. They hated that lifestyle and then they get into performance marketing. Uh, I have this buddy, his name is Christian Lamone. I think he's probably one of the most talented people in our field. He was the head of growth at Wish. Then he was the head of growth at WAG. And he literally, the way that he describes his organizations, he runs it like they're day traders. And you walk into the office and it's just like, it looks
3: like you're in a trading office that's a lot of good validation for me because I was like, how can nobody think of this? This is so obvious. So it's it's good to hear that people are thinking like that already, maybe in native and indie brands and not in large corporations. But that, that's a good, good thing to know.
2: Well, I had that when I was in my early days at, at 360i, where we were bringing search engine marketing to bigger brands. And in order to hire the right kind of media buyers, you weren't buying media that was negotiated over a three-martini lunch. You were trying to figure out how to win an auction-based system. And so it was right after the financial crash. This was like 2004, 2005, and people wanted to get out of Wall Street. And we're like, look, we're looking for people who've got really strong analytical skills who can figure out how to buy in an auction and outsmart the competition. When we're talking about fractions of pennies, per click, and decisions in seconds. We were able to get a lot of people that were either for financial services or, frankly, out of work. That really did give birth to a lot of the performance marketing that started in search for auction-based media, but now there's so much auction-based media available today. I do think that the town pool did come from that. In fact, it's kind of like today where somebody says they've got 25 years of e-commerce experience. You're like, and how much of that is really relevant, really? Who are we kidding? Speaking of e-com, what was the last thing you bought
3: online? Uh, I ordered a ping pong robo, uh, the robo that throws ping pong balls for my son, because he has been playing ping pong at the local club for many years. And now during the pandemic, they haven't opened the club yet. So I wanted him to start practicing and I'm not a good player. I was like, let the robo throw at you. So I outsourced it to machine and I think it's working well so far. That's better than the task rabbit. Is that an
1: Amazon purchase or some other ping pong website?
3: It's an Amazon purchase just because of the delivery times. I saw other ping pong websites at a cheaper price, but the two-day delivery makes a difference.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, consumer experience. So we call this podcast Brave Commerce for a reason. We want to know what's the bravest thing that you've ever done, personal or professional?
3: This is such a hard question it makes you think a lot, right? Obviously, I would say bravery as a concept, if I might put some Sanskrit or Hindi nuance to it, right? You know, bear with me from a cultural aspect, if this sounds very, very rooted in a culture you are not aware of, but you know, listen to it. So Hinduism has that concept of karma, we call it karma in American, it's karma, right? So it's like, be purpose driven, be work oriented, not outcome oriented. So detach yourself from the outcome, do what you were deemed to do, do what is right for you. And the outcome shall happen good or bad, right? I think bravery falls somewhere in that line, right? Are you able to keep charging relentlessly And know that in adversity, it'll be hurtful sometimes, but you keep charging and because you believe in the mission, because you believe you are purposeful, you are intentional about it. And I think that's true both in personal and professional life. And that brings some sort of post-traumatic growth, right? Because some of those brave slash stupid decisions will be positive and some will be negative because I think bravery and stupidity could go, you know, uh, on two sides of the same coin. People might say, you know, I might say, Oh, that's so brave. I did that. I went outside without a mask, but it's actually really stupid. Right? So I, I think bravery and stupidity are contextual. It may be different in different people's eyes. I don't know if there's a simple way to say what's the bravest thing, but I'll say I'll choose personal, you know, example instead of professional. So personal, I would say, In my Indian conservative upbringing context, back about 13, 15 years back, I married my then boyfriend, now husband, by eloping against both of our parents' wishes. So that was considered stupid slash brave at that point. In hindsight, I'll call it brave simply because I think we did the right thing. And eventually parents and everything, you know, we had a happy ending. It was a good experience. It was hard and not the easiest thing, but we were committed. and. And we did that. So,
1: Sarah, do you want to share your story? Same. <laughs>
2: um, my, my in-laws were very supportive, but my parents were not, and uh, my father didn't come to my wedding. So, we, we had a wedding. We didn't elope, um, and it was it was very tough. But you know, um, we're going on twenty four years. Sarah, in November, it is it like brave or stupid or stubborn, committed, there are a lot of different words that you could use. And a lot of it depends on which which side of that equation you're on. But I will say now, and I don't know what your situation is, but right now, you know, 20-something years later and two grandchildren delivered later, I'm very close with my dad and I'm very close with my mom. But it took some healing. It certainly did. And I didn't know how things were going to end.
3: Now, same here. It's so cathartic to hear that, Sarah. I didn't expect this conversation to go this way, but it's good to hear. So within six months of us eloping, we had two weddings, one by my in-laws and one by my parents of accepting us. So it was a tiring year of weddings with this, you know, the same, the two of us getting married again and again, but it was a good happy ending eventually. Nice to hear from you.
2: Certainly quite brave. And I'm so glad you had a happy ending
1: always wonderful to end our podcast on a note of love. Sarabi, thank you so much for joining us. Sarah and I both really enjoy working with you and your team. And I know our listeners are going to be inspired by all of your great tips and just your energy and charisma within these matrix organizations.
3: Thank you so much, Rachel and Sarah. It's been a privilege. I admire you, women. It's rare that women take the plunge to create something which is all women-owned. I like the fact that there are four alpha women on the screen, you know, talking brave things and executing brave things. So thank you so much for having me.
1: Of course. And actually, this is a perfect time to give a shout out to our producer, Allie. Folks, you don't get to see Allie, but she's behind the scenes making all this magic. And Allie, we appreciate you. Thank you, Allie. (laughs) She smiled. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks for listening.
2: For Please leave us a rating, your review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. And don't forget to share this link with a friend.
0: Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just the thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content, so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.